0: We're uh, going to uh, focus on Romans in a few moments' time. Romans chapter one. We began this new series, and we're still really in Paul's introduction uh, to Romans. Everybody who knows me or gets to know me knows that I'm a technophobe, and um, or I've come up with a new word. I'm a technosaur. Kind of like a dinosaur, you know, you get you get the drift. I turn up at meetings um, with some colleagues um, from particularly Fresh Streams. It's always a laugh because they all gather around. They get their iPod out. They get their iPad out. And they're somewhere in the clouds, apparently, an iCloud. And, uh, and then I get my diary out. My old, Yeah, look, exactly like that. And, uh, and I, I get... This thing called a pen out. And you know dear, I still write with a pen. That's, that's actually a fountain pen. Remember those? Not a quill. I have moved on from a quill. In fact, you, you'll have to sympathize because we've come a long way. When I was at a Bible college, being trained, uh, to be, I would never have thought I would turn up to church with a, a memory stick this big and give it to somebody behind a desk and say, well, I'll, I'll be using that later. I remember distinctly um, going to preach at Bognor Regis Baptist Church and ringing them up and saying if they had one of those new inventions, the OHP. And this lady, she was very lovely, she said, Oh yes dear, we have lots of pensioners. No, you've misunderstood. Overhead projector. Remember the overhead projector? That was going to revolutionize church. These little bits of cellophane that would project things on the screen. How easily we forget. Do you remember the hymn books? How long since you had a hymn book in your hand? There you go, anyway. So I'm a bit of a technosaur. and techn- I'm so grateful to Edward. He keeps me up to date with my daughter. And her news. <laughs> have, you, have you checked Facebook to see if you've changed at all in the last hour? Updated your status? Ah, it just goes over me. I just smile. One of the new words that has entered our vocabulary is um, the word app. And even I, even I on my Kindle Fire have downloaded an app recently. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. I've yet to work out how to use it, but i downloaded it. Apparently, there are over 700,000 apps available to download on your iPod, iPad, iPhone, iCloud thing. But it's encouraging to know that God was the first one. He is the great I Am. In Exodus, he says, I Am, before there was an iPod or an iPad. And Jesus had lots to say about I am. And so uh, we're going to have a look at Romans uh, verses 1, chapter 1, verses 8 to 17. And hopefully, by the wonders of the memory stick thingy, it's, I've got it there. hope that's not too small for you. But if you've got very focals. I met up with my best man this week, and I, said, I said, "You look different." He said, I have new glasses." I said, "Wow, they look nice, very focals." He said, and I said, "Me too." <laughs> you were, you we were the youngest at college. We were twenty. We were always the youngest ministers, me and Sam. And now we're approaching fifties, and we've got very focals. And <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, it's, it's enough of that, isn't it? Yes, thank you, Hermie, for your encouragement. Uh, Bless you, darling. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, Is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Now, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness from God that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we just look at this passage tonight, that we will learn more from you and about you. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to come even and change us in our attitudes, in our thinking, in our actions. We ask that you would make us the people you want us to be, in Jesus' name. You'll notice from uh, the reading that put, I've just uh, highlighted or in red, just uh, um, the "I" bits that Paul says just in this passage. And there are seven of them. Simon Ponsonby, who uh, has written a new um, book on Romans, to whom I'm so grateful, calls these apostolic apps. How good is that? Apostolic apps. And um, the first one is I thank. I thank, And like a lot of preachers, myself included, you're all encouraged when preachers start with a thing first of all, because you think, wow, that's great. How many points are going to come? Maybe three, maybe three. But like a lot of preachers, myself included, Paul starts with the word first, but never gets round to secondly. He just goes on in this letter. Isn't it amazing? So beware. We, well, we have seven points. There you go. Just to encourage you, you'll be able to count them off. And Paul has a very long first point. Paul's life and letters are punctuated and marked with thanksgiving. Whenever he starts his letter, if you read the New Testament, all of Paul's letters, he, he begins with thanksgiving and praise. We have sung, amazingly, tonight, we have sung a lot of Paul's letters, we have sung a lot of Paul's lyrics been adapted and put to music by other people, but Paul wrote them, and we've been singing them out in praise. See, Paul had never gotten over the fact, I think Hermie prayed it as well tonight, he never got over the wonder of God's grace. Paul was, as you remember, Saul, a Pharisee, persecuted the church, he met with Jesus, he was transformed, he never got over it. Again and again, he gives his testimony how he met with Jesus, and Jesus changed his life. And Paul never wants us to get over what God has done for us. We have been receivers of his grace. The Bible says that God has lavished his grace upon us. He has not given us justice. Imagine if God gave us justice. If God gave us just what we deserved, we'd all be in trouble. God hasn't given us his mercy. He's given us more than that. Because mercy is just not getting what you deserve. But in his grace, he gives us something that we never deserved in the first place. And Paul never got over it. And I pray that you and I will never get over the fact of how much this amazing God loves us. And cares for us. In fact, Paul hints later on in verse 21 that actually ingratitude to God is one of the marks of sinful rebellion against God. To have an ingrateful attitude is actually a mark of rebellion against God. He says, they neither glorify him nor give thanks to him, those in rebellion to him. They neither glorify him or give thanks to him. And we have so much to be thankful for in Christ. I don't know if you ever get into a small group and people say, now let's all share what we've got to be thankful for. And we go, oh God, I don't know. As if we've got to come up with some amazing new thing that we're thankful for. Let's never get over the fact that God loves us. And we're thankful for it. Often we only really appreciate things when they're no longer with us. When you no longer have the health that you once had. You appreciate the health then <laughs> that you once had. Being thankful is a hallmark of a redeemed life. And so as those who believe in Jesus, we are to have thankful hearts. And as a community of believers... We are to be thankful as well, for everything that we see, and i, I, I and I have that tension in in my own heart because I, I just have this longing to see more. I want to see so much more, but I don 't want to become a grumpy person who wants to see more. I want to be a thankful person for what we do see, but still ask for more and Paul is thankful. Jesus, but he's thankful also for this community of believers in Rome. And when we, when we imagine that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, maybe I don't know what you have in your mind's eye of the church in Rome, but it wouldn't have been a gathering in a big building. There would have been small gatherings in people's homes. There may be at the time of Paul's letter only about a hundred Christians in Rome out of a population of over a million. And the Christians were those who lived in the poorest of the communities in Rome. Yet, small in number, their faith is being heard of around the world. There are Christians in Rome. There are Christians in Rome. Isn't that amazing? I remember my friend Rick um, telling me once that uh, one of the he's in a different stream of the church and they, they, they recognize apostles in their stream. And he said uh, the, uh, the apostle had come to visit him and, and he had been amazed because he'd been on holiday in the Cotswolds. And he said, I went to this little village and he said, I saw people pouring out of this church building. And he said, where was he? He said, Chipping Camden. He said, I was gobsmacked that in this tiny place there was a community of Believers. So even in London, they were hearing of the faith of the little ones in Chipping Camden. Paul is grateful that there is a community of believers who have give their allegiance to Jesus Christ because it was no, no little thing to say Jesus is Lord in Rome. Caesar was Lord. The Emperor was Lord. If you didn't worship him, you were in trouble to say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King was a very, very dangerous thing. And Paul is grateful. Grateful that the gospel is spreading. Secondly, the second I in this chapter is I serve. Paul says, God whom I serve with my whole heart is my witness. How I remember you in my prayer. And Paul uses a technical term here for serve. It's drawn from the priestly temple ministry. I began tonight by reading that wonderful uh, text from Hebrews that we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Paul uses a technical term here, uh, meaning I serve. The priests bring in an offering to God's altar. And Paul uses it in the way that he has given his life He didn't bring a sacrifice to place on the altar. He actually comes and he puts himself on the altar. Because he serves the one true living God with all of his heart. Paul sees himself as an offering. It's not lip service. He's not doing it for show. It's not something that's just a duty. He'd known that before. He was a Pharisee. He was a a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one of the top Pharisees. Under Gamaliel he had studied. But it had no life. It was just ritual. He was dead. Now he's met Jesus and he says, I serve. I put myself on the altar to serve God. With a heart ablaze with love for God. To serve God is the greatest privilege This world affords. I have the privilege of meeting with lots and lots of ministers in various meetings. And and sometimes it can be quite depressing. It can be quite depressing because a lot of churches beat up their ministers. I've been in a church where standing, talking to the minister, someone in the church has told them off in front of me. And I'm standing there gobsmacked. Not that we sort of are special and deserve respect and everything, but in front of everyone that would be there to listen. Tearing him off a strip. I meet other ministers who've fallen out of love with ministry. And sometimes we as ministers forget what a privilege it is to serve God. But that's whoever we are. Wherever you are tomorrow morning, you're there serving Jesus. That's your ministry. We're all in ministry. But it can become so easy to lose that privilege. I am here to serve Jesus. But Paul had that in his heart. The third I. Is I pray. I am in awe of Paul's prayers. He said, I always mention you in my prayers. And I could understand if it was that was just the Romans, but he says that to the Ephesians, he says that to the Philippians, he says that to the Colossians, and I'm thinking, God. But he carries them all in his heart. And even Rome, that he hasn't planted this church. I can can understand those he's planted and he's visited and he, he has them in his heart. I know he knows people in Rome, but he carries this church in his heart and he prays for them. Every Monday morning when Edward and I meet with the staff, we pray for the church here as it's out on mission. We pray for you wherever you are, that God will use you. Paul was a prayer. And our prayers... Reveal what's on our heart. If you want to know what's on your heart, check out your prayers. That's what's on your heart. That's what you're bringing before God. In that amazing way that God allows us into his presence, we bring to him stuff. People, situations, that's what we carry on our heart. The lost, those who don't know Jesus yet, we carry them on our heart. The prayers for revival. Again, there's a picture here of the, the high priest of Israel who, who would come before God um, and on the uh, breastplate of the tunic that he wore would be 12 gemstones engraved with the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was a symbolic thing of bringing the tribes of Israel before God that the high priest would bring the people of God as he carries them on his heart and Paul Carries the churches in his heart before God. What do you carry in your heart before God? One of the things that dominates your prayers? What has God placed on your heart? Or if you can't think of something, ask God to place something on your heart that you can carry before him in prayer, that you can battle for in prayer. Sometimes it comes out of an experience of God, of the Holy Spirit. He puts something there for you to battle and carry. But each of us carry things in our hearts, and Paul carries the church. And I hope you do too. I hope that if you're part of any of the Cornerstone churches, that you carry those churches in your heart and you pray blessing. One of the wonderful things of Cornerstone churches is we bless one another. We bless what God's doing among us. We share in the work of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, he says, I impart. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. See, Paul is, is writing them a letter, but he longs to meet up with them in person so that he can impart something that a letter cannot impart. I am so grateful to God that he wrote letters. That we have them. That he wrote letters to the churches. But he has more to give to the churches than just a letter can give. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you read a book but then you've met the author. There's something different. There is something different. I remember having read Simon Ponsonby's book. I only mention him because we love him. I mean, uh, he's just such a great guy. I had read his books and I love his books. But when you meet him, it's much better than the book to speak with him. We're having Sandy Miller coming in a few weeks' time. What a privilege, that. You can read his books, but you can come and see him and hear him. And there is something different because he imparts something. You can impart something face-to-face that you cannot impart in a letter. And apostles impart things. They are not there to impose things or impress things. Again, just an illustration from my friend Rick. I remember in the early days of his ministry, uh, an apostle changed in in his area and the new apostle came and told them what they were supposed to be doing right and wrong. And Rick said, who are you? Who are you? You have no authority here. Because apostles are not supposed to lord it over people, nor impose things, nor impress. They are supposed to impart, to leave something of God wherever they go. And that's mirrored for every believer. Wherever we go, we're to leave something of God. Whoever we speak to, to leave something of God. And what a challenge is that, isn't it? Whether it's at the checkout at Tesco's. You know, I I beat myself up this week a little bit over that because I was in a hurry. And I had a chatty checkout lady. And sometimes they're a blessing and other times they're a real pain. And I find myself sometimes avoiding the chatty ones. Sorry, Lord. And sorry if you're here tonight and you're the checkout lady who I avoid. But... um, And I thought, I, what did I leave of God there? Everywhere we go, and every meet, we, we who carry the Holy Spirit, who have the Holy Spirit, we're to leave something of God with people. And whether it's in a chance meeting or whether it's in someone that you've known for a long time, that's the challenge. Leave something of God with them. Because we are salt and light. The Bible says, wherever we go. Fifthly, and you're encouraged that we're going so quickly. I am bound. Paul says, I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks. And then further on, he talks about Jews and Gentiles. Because Paul was an apostle for all. He knew the gospel was for all people. No matter what your background, whatever you've been into in the past, Jesus is for you. And of course, there were divisions in Rome, in the church. Because the church in Rome was made up of Jewish believers, Jewish background, and pagan background believers, and Greeks and Romans, and Jews together. And, And when you put a mix of people together anywhere, there's... Sometimes a little bit of friction. I'm amazed that God pay, puts churches together with so many different people. And He says, Oh, now I want you to love each other. Ha. Paul says, I am bound to both groups, neither one is favored over the other. To Jews, Paul was a Jew. He was a Roman citizen as well. And he was proud of the faith. As it came from the Jews. See, God chose one man, Abraham, and gave him a covenant, a promise. That through him, the world would be blessed. And through Abraham and his family, and then Israel, Jesus comes. God in the flesh God the Son comes. Jesus was a Jew. Came to save the whole world. Jesus for everyone. But Paul also had a personal commission from Jesus. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was to take the message of Jesus to non-Jews. And this is as relevant today as it ever was. I wonder if you're pro-Israel or pro-Palestinian. Politically. Let's not get into that, shall we? I know plenty of churches that do. No, we're pro-Jesus. All the way. Pro-Jesus. We're for the kingdom of God. Not earthly kingdoms. I've met with church folk who are so Israel-focused and they don't see Jesus anymore. Paul says, I'm bound to both Greeks and non-Greeks. I'm bound to Jews and Gentiles. We believe the gospel is for all. Those being saved from a pagan background, all the stuff that they were into meeting with Jews who had kept themselves religiously pure. You're one in Jesus, says Paul. All your sins washed away, you're one in Jesus. There's no Jew or Gentile in Christ. There's no slave or free in Christ, he says. We're all in Christ Jesus. Sixthly, I preach... Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. Paul, above all things, wants to win people for Jesus. That's what we do as well. We want to win people for Jesus. That's why we exist as a church. That's our mission. We do loads of stuff. But our mission is to reach people for Jesus. That's why we need revival. (laughs) Because at the moment, in this nation, the church of Jesus Christ is not reaching many for Jesus. They're doing lots of stuff. But sometimes the church has got lost in what the main thing is. We're here for those who aren't here. Spend our whole lives running around those who are here and that's not a bad thing, but we have to realise that we are here for those who are not here. And we were privileged last week in Chipping Camden here to see four people baptised, and it's fantastic because they've come to faith in Jesus. I was reading the Alpha questionnaires in the week as we'd finished our latest Alpha course, and one of them, one of them, just it was worth everything. Were you a Christian when you started the course? No. Were you going to church when you started the course? No. How would you describe yourself now? I love Jesus and he loves me. And I was going, yes. That's what it's about. There was a party in heaven. That's what we're about. Paul is... Is about that. He's eager to preach the gospel, to reap a a harvest. Paul was always looking for more, new places, new opportunities. We are too, we're looking for new people. Do you know about Jesus' love? Over the weekend of the Dovers games, all, all the folk who went out, treasure hunting, looking for treasure because people are God's treasure. He desired to preach the gospel in Rome. Edward, this morning, if you were in Camden, touched on this. Why would Paul want to preach the gospel to the church? They know the gospel. Now, sometimes the church forgets the gospel. And if the church is healthy, there will always be people within the meetings of the church who don't know Jesus because they've been invited. That's why it's important to preach the gospel in church. And to reaffirm our faith in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus is Lord, there is no other. He is the way to be saved. He alone has died for our sins, no one else. He alone has given us the gift of eternal life, no one else. It comes through faith. We believe, we trust in Jesus There was also the fact that Rome was the symbolic center of the world at that time, and Paul desires to preach the gospel there. Of course he does. But it's interesting, he says, I want to preach it to you too in the church. And preaching is a mark of the apostle. Uh, some of us as leaders went on um, something called Lead Academy, which was really great. But one of, one of the, the discussions we had at one point is "Is preaching out of date. And I, and I, I said to myself, don't say a word, Philip. Don't, just don't get drawn into anything, because... There were people saying, yeah, of course, in the age of iPods and the uh, the data projector, preaching is old hat now. We don't need preachers anymore. And I'm thinking, oh, don't say a word for that. And of course, I couldn't stop myself. Only because when I became a Christian, God told me to preach for him. And before I was a Christian, I couldn't even open my mouth to anybody And actually, God uses men and women to speak the gospel to hear. No matter what fang-dangled new things are invented to communicate with people and update your status and all those things, we communicate best as human beings by talking, meeting with people. Let's have a virtual church. People, That makes me laugh. Well, I'm part of a virtual church. I'm thinking, what's that then? Well, I I go on my iPod or whatever, and I listen to the sermon, and I listen to the worship, and I've joined in, and uh, then we go and have lunch or whatever. And I'm thinking, that's not church. You never meet anybody. You're there on your iPod, on your own. How sad. Sorry if you're into virtual (laughs) church. That's because I'm a technosaur. I haven't come into this new fangled era of virtual church. Sometimes I might wish for a virtual church. (laughs) A church where you don't meet anybody. Where problems are in the ether. There's something about The spoken word. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says. When Sandy Miller comes, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat because I want to hear everything that man has to say. Do you notice we're plugging that a lot? But he has something to say. He has been following Jesus for many, many years and seen amazing things of God. We want to hear it. We need... Finally, not that Paul said finally, because he doesn't ever say finally, does he? Maybe right at the end. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If I were to ask you tonight to write a list of what you're proud of, what are you proud of? Who are you proud of? What would be on the list? Proud of yourself? Proud of your family? Proud of your football team. Proud of Andy Murray, who won today? Queens. Sorry if you videoed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not a sportosaur, because um, there you go. There you go. What are you proud of? Who are you proud of? If you were to ask Paul, oh you know the answer, don't you? Every child in Sunday school knows the answer. Jesus. Paul is proud of Jesus. He is proud of the gospel because it is the power of God to save people. I'm proud of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And we've seen the power of God to save every transformed life that we've seen. It is a, it is a miracle. It is a miracle when it happens. When someone hears the good news of the gospel, believes it, and invites the Holy Spirit in, and they're transformed. It is a miracle. And we want to see more. Paul says, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to save. Yet it sounds sometimes, sometimes, even when I'm sharing with people, it sounds God has come for you. You weren't looking for God, but God has come looking for you. In fact, God has become a human being in Christ to come and look for you. And he's come to save you by dying a criminal's death on a crucifixion. That Roman torture. That's the way he has died for your sins. And when you believe in him, all your sins are washed away because he takes them on himself. And what's his becomes yours. And you are made right with God. And not only that, he's going to give you a new life. The best life you can live here on earth. Not only that, you will live forever with him. And not only that, he's coming back again. And he's going to make the earth new and the heavens new. And I'm thinking, this is brilliant, this is amazing. And someone's looking at me as if I'm an idiot. You expect me to believe that? Yep. It's the truth. And it sounds just too good to be true. You mean I don't have to earn it? No. Nope. He's doing it all for me. Yep. What's it going to cost me? Ah. Uh, just your life. To follow Jesus. But it's the best decision you'll ever make. See, in Roman civilized society, it was forbidden to talk about crucifixion. It was an embarrassment. It wasn't mentioned in polite society, what they did with the criminals, how they abused and tortured the criminals. We, we do it the same. When it comes out of torture in prisons, or even our soldiers who have committed horrendous crimes, it, it's normally criminal. We're embarrassed about that. In Corinthians, Paul's another letter to a church. It says it's a stumbling block to the Jews, the crucifixion, because it was a sign that God had abandoned you. If you died the death of a criminal, God had abandoned you. It was God's judgment on you. And theologically, that's true because Jesus, when he dies, takes and it was foolishness to the Gentiles. How ridiculous that salvation comes through the death of Jesus on a cross. And do you think that's 2,000 years old thinking? Not at all. Even today within the church, there are many who are ashamed of the cross. There's debates within Christian circles of whether the cross is cosmic child abuse. And we've got beyond that. The barbarism of the the cross being the way of salvation. And in doing so we get beyond the Bible. And the revealed truth. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. In fact he says elsewhere that he is proud to preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's his message. So many... Christians when they share their testimonies we, Edward and I have mentioned it together you know we don't mention Jesus died for our sins anymore give your testimony it might be all lots of other things but the fact that Jesus died for you to save you from sin and death and hell itself that we can easily forget the cross where Jesus took the wrath of God against sin on himself. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save. So here we have seven I sayings in this early chapter of this letter of Paul. I thank I serve, I pray, I impart, I am bound, I preach, I'm not ashamed. Which ones are we going to download tonight? Into our lives. To have a thankful heart, to put ourselves on the altar, to carry in prayer before God those things on our heart, to leave something of God wherever we go, to be bound to all people, no matter their backgrounds, to but not be afraid of speaking the message. We're not all preachers, but we're all witnesses of the message, and we're not ashamed of the gospel. Let's just pray together. The gospel is good news, and even... Even tonight, if you're here and you may have been around church or around spiritual things, but you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then even tonight, I encourage you just to say yes to Jesus, to ask him to forgive your sins, give you a new life, Lead and guide you from this earth into eternity. Jesus loves you, came to save. Lord, we pray that tonight by your spirit, just having read this passage together and thought about it, that we will carry these things in our hearts, that they will be hallmarks of the church here and that are. Churches in Cornerstone. Lord, will you do a work of your spirit in us. Where we've grown tired or weary. Help us again to fall on you. And be amazed at the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. That you love us so much. We bless you. Bless you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to sing a final song before we close, just of thanksgiving and praise for this wonderful news that we have, this good news called the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to receive prayer for anything, if you uh, just need that, just come to the front. The front row's always free. Come and sit. There'll be those on hand to pray for you if you'd like to receive prayer. Let's stand together as we sing our final song.